Dotnet Rocks episode 890 with guest Phil Hack. Recorded live Friday, June 21st, 2013. This episode is brought to you by Teller, offering the best in developer tools and support. And by Franklins.net, makers of Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at GesturePak.com. And by Diatom, developers of the .NET Rocks mobile app, available now for Windows Phone, iPhone, and Android phones. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. Welcome back to Donnay Rocks. Carl Richard. We're here. We're all good. What's up, Mr. Campbell? I am uh, I'm well. Things are good. Actually, I had a hardware failure. I had my, you know, we've got three different internet connections coming into the house because why wouldn't you? Mm. And uh, <clears throat> I got it bumped up to 100 megabits. And so my old Cisco RV16 just couldn't handle the switching fast enough. It was burying it. In fact, it was crashing. It would overflow its buffers. So I got a fancy new Netgear unit, which cost me a, a few dollars, and it ran great for three months and four days. Oh, boy. And then it just died. Oh, boy. And the girls came down from upstairs and said, uh, are we in trouble? Because uh, that's, that's how they generally found out when we, you know, when they were not doing something right, I would turn off the internet connection. So the fact that the internet would be down for them is, is the only reason that would ever happen is that they'd done something wrong. Usually when the internet's down in my house, it's because I'm stupid. That's <laughs> <laughs> you stupid man, you ruined the internet again. Nice. So I had to switch over to my old router and throttle the connection so I didn't overflow it. And now I'm, I'm going through the wonders that are the RMA process to replace this device. Awesome. Lucky me. That's fun. How about you? Well, uh, just practicing with a band to play at an outdoor festival coming up here, and it's a lot of fun, and man, we are just sounding better and better every time we practice. Nice. Yeah. The Franklin Brothers, good stuff. But um, other than that, I'm just working on some code, some JavaScript, and some web API stuff, and it's fun. I've done more JavaScript in the last two weeks than I have probably in, you know, the last year. Wow. Fun. JavaScript. You're changing, man. I, you know, I had done a lot of JavaScript in the past, but, you know, for the last couple of years, especially because stuff just changes so fast that I just wanted to wait until it settled down. And it seems like it has. Yeah. It's a good time to jump in. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, just not a lot of Silverlight demand these days. Nope. For better or worse. And, you know, more and more, we don't need it. It's, there's so many things that we can do in HTML5 now. Well, yeah, that's the whole thing, right? This Silverlight app that you and I depend on for handling files for the shows mm. being replaced with something HTML5 is kind of magical. It's kind of magic. Yeah. yeah. Fun. All right. Let's uh, jump in with Better Know Framework. All right. What do you got? Have I got a site for you? Oh, do you really? 99designs.com. Oh, I love 99designs. Yep. It's the two letters, 99designs.com. The idea... Let's say you have a logo that you want to design, or a website or something like that, a t-shirt, anything that needs graphic design in general. You go to 99designs.com and you say, hey, I'm willing to pay 100 bucks to the person who comes up with the best design for this, and you spell out what you need, 
and there's a whole community there, maybe 10, 12, 20, whatever people submit designs for you and they, they do the work and you get, basically get to pick the one you want at the price you want to pay. So it's a crowdsourced design website. Cool. Yeah. Love it. I, I honestly think that's the way things are going to go for many, many things in the future, not just graphic designs. This sort yeah, of my only challenge with these things is I, you know, battling the whole lowest bidder race to the bottom mentality. I, I do, you know, you do want to have graphic work valued, but well, I that's really it. like it for just getting I getting some idea. I'm willing to pay for some good ideas. Depending, you know, you can use them any way you want. Just pay, you know, for the ideas that you get. Well, that's it. But you know, certain things are becoming commodities, and certain things are not. Like somebody who wants to design a room or or an event um, or you know that kind of thing. You have to work with a person carefully on that. That's not something anybody's going to whip off for a hundred bucks on a website. But certainly, some of these. You know, things that people are learning in school uh, or just, you know, teaching themselves to do that anybody with a computer can, and an artistic flair can sit down and knock out. I think it's great. Very interesting stuff. Yeah. All right. There you go. Groovy. 99designs.com. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 869. And that's the one we did with Pablo Santos when he talked about plastic SCM. Awesome. And this comment comes from Andrew Hansen, who says, I was crazy excited to see the title of this episode pop up and couldn't wait to listen to it, which I love because it lets me know folks are really looking at the upcoming shows list. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, a year ago or so, I begged and pleaded with my organization to upgrade our source control from CVS, oh man, to something more modern. Like Rite Aid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Walgreens. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, they tasked me to pick the new one. Yeah, see, there's your punishment. You wanted something new, so now you've got to figure it out. And I was convinced I would pick either TFS or Git. Yep. But I ended up finding plastic, and I'm not even exaggerating by saying it has revolutionized how we are working, which is not hard to imagine when you remember we were coming from CVS. Mm. But I digress. Mm-hmm. The graphical piece of plastic is really a huge strength of the product. They don't hide the branches away from the developer. They give you a nice left-to-right swim lane-type overview for them, and it makes it insanely simple to understand everything. We went from creating brand-new CVS repositories for every major version to creating feature branches, release branches, and merging without a care. There are a lot of developers out there who are so used to SVN, CVS, or even RCS when branching is so immensely costly that getting them to understand and adopt a completely different workflow that embraces branching and merging is really difficult. Even when the advantages are understood, it can be hard battle to win. Having strong, reliable, and some would say, most importantly, easy to understand tools can help you in that move is really invaluable. Uh, and you know what I love about this comment is just reminding us that our tools shape our behavior. He's clearly branching and merging is a great approach for having lots of people working on software at once. It's just that if you've done it with the old tools and got punished for it, you now avoid it like the plague. Right. So now that we're finally getting tools that are good enough that we really can work this way, we start having seeing real parallel development going on, trying to get us old stodgy developers to overcome our habits and actually use these things 
What are you saying? I'm not old. <laughs> <laughs> nope, you're not old. You're just stodgy. Just stodgy. There you go. Not arguing with that. <laughs> Andrew, thanks so much for your comment. I totally agree, and I'm sure our guests will have a comment on it as well. A great .NET Rocks mug is off to you, and if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, you can write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or on any of our mobile apps for Android, iPhone, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and Windows 8. Those apps were built by Diatom Enterprises, and they'd love to build you a mobile app. You can reach them at diatomenterprises.com. And before we go any further, I need to tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online. They have hundreds of hardcore developer training courses authored by MVPs, industry experts, and .NET Rocks guests. They're releasing about 30 new courses every month now and offer a free 10-day trial, giving you 200 minutes of access. Pluralsight offers a wide range of topics, including iOS, Java, Android, web development, pretty much everything Microsoft. Try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. And with that, let me introduce back to the show Phil Hack. Phil works at GitHub, finding ways to make it better for .NET and Windows developers everywhere. Prior to GitHub, he was a senior program manager at Microsoft, responsible for shipping ASP.NET MVC, NuGet, among other projects. And these projects were released under an open source license and helped serve as examples of the open source model for shipping software and to other teams at Microsoft. Phil is the co-author of the popular professional ASP.NET MVC series and regularly speaks at conferences around the world. He also made several appearances on technology podcasts such as .NET Rocks, Hansel Minutes, Herding Code, and the official jQuery podcast. Welcome back, Phil. Oh, it's good to be back. Good to have you. Do we tell the story of what happened when we went to GitHub and to do a uh, road trip uh, show there? I don't think we ever have. No, I don't recall. Well, first of all, it was pretty cool, you know, .NET Rocks guys going into GitHub in Silicon Valley. And, you know, we thought, you know, we might get a, a few people show up, but actually it was a pretty good crowd. For sure. The interesting part was that they had no video connectors that worked with our Windows laptops. There was no VGA at all. It's a, it's <laughs> Mac land, right? It was all digital. We said, well, you know, what can we plug into? They showed us every version of the Mac adapter and said, which one would you like? It was really kind of funny. It was awesome. Like, it was sort of that moment of, ah, I've gone through the looking glass. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I am in non-Windows land. What's up, Phil? Good to have you back. Uh, it's good to be back. Love talking to you guys. Yeah, what have you been doing since the last time we talked? Uh, you know, same old, same old. <laughs> uh, I've been working on um, a couple different projects lately. Just the other day, I blogged about uh, releasing uh, sem the Semantic Versioning 2.0 spec. Okay. Have you guys heard of Semver? No. What is this? So if you go to semver.org, S-E-M-V-E-R.org, um, it's a specification that uh, Tom Preston Werner, a, you know, aka our CEO, uh, had written a long time ago about a sane approach to versioning. And so, you know, very simply, um, it's trying to create a standard for how you approach versioning of libraries, packages, and that sort of thing. So you got your major, minor, and patch. And then he describes how each of those things increment. So patch for bug fixes, no breaking changes, minor for new features, major for breaking changes. And, you know, ideally, if we all, you know, live in this utopian world where we follow this, you know, you can make a lot of sense. And in fact, it was um, NuGet. We, we actually embedded some of that behavior in NuGet a long time ago. And it was funny because, 
we had a couple feature ideas and I was trying to figure out who was in charge of uh, Semver and it happened to be Tom and this was around the time where I was interviewing at GitHub. So it ended up being uh, kind of interesting in that respect. Hmm. Phil, this seems like pretty self-evident stuff. Haven't we always done this? So that's kind of the whole point was to look at what existing practices there have been out there and try to encapsulate them into a specification. Um, because yes, we've always done that, but every different group sort of has their own variants or approaches like the odd and even, you know, switching that some versioning schemes do yep. and, uh, and so on. And so I think what Tom was going for was just to say, hey, let's, you know, take some of these and then you just come up with the, the parts that are most common that uh, make sense, you know, come out with the spec and hope that like, you know, perhaps people will start to adopt it. So NuGet has adopted it. Uh, NPM, the uh, Node Package Manager, they're, I believe uh, they're adopting it or they're adopting aspects of it. Um, in fact, I'm pretty sure that because the one of the NPM authors has been involved heavily in the 2.0 spec and uh, so on. So with 2.0, we added um, this concept of build metadata and and also added a little more formality to the pre-release tags um, identifier. So, uh, yeah, it's always been out there. And that's kind of, you know, hopefully the point is that, you know, we're not deviating from practices that are already out there and that people are doing well with. Right. Phil, is Microsoft uh, adopting this for .NET and assemblies? <laughs> you know what? I wouldn't, I don't think they're adopting it for assemblies yet uh, across the board. It would be kind of difficult to sort of change the scheme, you know, at this late point in the day. I don't think you'll ever see the version class, you know, right. adopt this, right? Because yeah. it's already different. But um, here's the thing. If you, if you recall that assemblies are defined as sort of the unit of deployment for .NET code, mm. I think that's going to change down the road. It's going to be get packages. Um, it's going, I think those are going to be more tightly integrated into even CLR, perhaps. Sure. So when, um, so NuGet packages do support Semver. So, and hopefully, you know, at that point, the fact that, you know, the version class doesn't maybe not a big deal. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe there'll be a new, sem version class down the road which would be kind of nice that would be nice i should write one you should yeah i <laughs> nice. was just gonna say it's not something you have to wait for microsoft to do yeah this could be done you know there probably is one in the NuGet source code and i just hadn't i mean since we have to do this stuff i bet there is one or at least it supports some of it so what are the latest innovations coming out of github uh, one of the things that I've been working on uh, recently is actually kind of unrelated to GitHub for Windows, and um, it addresses a long-running concern about uh, about uh, GitHub, which is just some. Ch how do you choose a license for your open source repository? So I've been working on a site called ChooseALicense.com, and kind of the point of the site is to help people make an informed decision about um, a license. So a lot of people have asked GitHub to have a license um, picker, you know, like a drop down, choose which license you, you want for your project. But, uh, you know, most of the, that idea kind of fails when if you don't already know what license you want, how is this giant list of licenses going to help you choose a proper license, right? Like sure. it makes no sense. And so I'm kind of, I kind of decide, took this opinionated approach where if you go to choosealicense.com, the front page shows you three licenses, and it says effectively, 
just choose one of these three. And here's why you might choose one of these three. And uh, I chose MIT, Apache, and GPL. And then I have a link to say, well, if none of these work for you, you know, click this link. Here's some other licenses that, and, and kind of why you might choose them. For example, you know, the Perl community is, tends to choose the artistic license for some reason. You know, if you're doing Perl development, you might want to choose this license because that's sort of the license for that community. But for most open source projects, you know, there's no need to come up with like some random license that nobody cares about anymore. It's your, your best bet is to choose one of the three that most people use and, and move on with your life. And so we're going to try not only add the license picker back, but try to sort of, you know, guide people towards one of these three licenses and, and move away from, you know, this whole license proliferation. It sounds like a decision tree would be a really good way to, to come to which license you want to pick. Does that exist? Uh, no. Um, so we, I thought about that sort of like the, the Creative Commons license picker. But uh, for the most part, I think we could distill like there's if there's only three choices, you don't really need to go through a flow chart to, um, you know, figure out which of those three choices. So what we try to do is, you know, present those three choices up front. And then when you click through the license picker, you know, there's a few more um, options. So the idea is that you can kind of digest that information very quickly all at once and not have to go through a flow chart to figure out which of those three you want. Yeah. Should we talk about, you know, the difference between MIT, Apache, and GPL? Absolutely. Should we start with MIT then? So MIT is what I would call a permissive license. It's usually the one that people choose when they're like, yeah, you know what? Do whatever the hell you want with my code. I don't care. Just don't, you know, sue me and don't, you know, try to steal credit for it, right? Right. Yeah. Or give me credit, no liability. Yeah. And, you know, and it didn't even require that you give them credit in some public form. It just requires that you keep a copy of the license with the source code. Right. So, um, but you never have to uh, do things like reveal your changes to the code, that sort of thing. So um, in that regard, it's very business friendly. Uh, Apache is a lot like MIT in that regard. It's a permissive license, but it has a little more language about um, patents and how uh, how patents work in regards to the license. So, for example, if you license something under Apache and you have patents on that code that you license, Apache makes it explicit that you are uh, allowing others to use that patented code um, who are using that software. So, you know, that kind of makes sense. Uh, the thing about Apache that, uh, as compared to MIT, is that MIT is very short. You can, like, see it all on one screen and read it, and, and you don't even have to really be a lawyer to understand it, basically. But uh, the Apache license is much longer, so it takes a little more uh, time to really understand it. And, uh, you know, it's more explicit about certain things, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the other licenses... Um, through the omission of those terms, don't provide you the same protections, right. per se. So the, the GPL is what I would call a reciprocal license. Um, and it has terms uh, that state that if you, for example, um, take this code and make any changes to it, you need to publish your changes. Um, if you l even link your code to your code, then the whole work also needs to um, be uh licensed in a compatible way and, and you need your changes to be published. 
So that that's a, a stark contrast to the other two licenses where I could take your MIT code and I could make all kinds of changes to it and I could uh, keep my changes to it private. Um, whereas with the GPL, if you take your GPL code and I make some changes to it, I need to make sure I publish those changes in a, in a manner that people can get to those changes. Right. I mean, it, uh, that's the Stallman license, the whole idea of per- perpetuating good ideas in the public eye. Yes, yes. So, you know, and there's advantages and disadvantages to each approach, right? Like the nice thing about the GPL is that, uh, you know, if you're really concerned about people, you know, taking your code and not giving back, well, you know, they, the license requires that they give back. Right. The downside to that is that they might not, you know, perhaps less people will take it in the first place, right? Yeah. I mean, GPL is the license that most lawyers fear. <laughs> well, not, you know, that's kind of a values judgment, right? But yeah, most lawyers at Microsoft, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Microsoft was never anti-open source. They were just highly anti-GPL. Well, the, the, their, yeah, their, their fear is um, sort of that aspect where, like, if, you, if they take that code and, you know, incorporate it into their product, they um, might be exposing their own stuff right you know yeah. and having to open source their own stuff whereas you don't have that worry with mit and uh, apache people have called the the gpl license a viral license yeah and i from what i hear gpl proponents don't like don't necessarily like that term because they feel it's kind of derogatory yes but but there is that aspect of you know that nature of it and so and and you know even the gpl um folks have addressed that with uh, something called the LGPL, the lesser GPL, which uh, allows you to link to it without turning your work open source. Yeah, at the same time, calling it the lesser also seems to be derogatory. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> true, true. <laughs> See, they're trying to make a point. I mean, they don't recommend it, right? They're right. like, well, we did this as a concession, but you know, you really should choose the GPL. Yeah, that doesn't make it right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think mo- a lot of developers just punt when it comes to licensing. They're like, I don't want to think about it. Yeah, I mean, and my hope is that choosealicense.com will make it easy to think about it just enough to pick a license, but not more than you really want to think about it, right? I mean, here's, a, here's the, the fear I have. A lot of people, when they you know publish a repository on GitHub, they don't even choose a license because they're like, you know what, I don't care. I just do whatever the heck you want with it. And they don't realize that, well, if you don't choose a license, then by the default copyright laws in the U.S. at least, yeah. that work is you retain all rights to that code and nobody really has permissions to do anything with it. Right. Now, there are terms of services on github.com. So, you know, when you publish your code on GitHub, you are under those terms of services, but they're not quite the same as what you might have intended, right? You might mm-hmm. have intended for me to be able to take your code and do whatever the heck I want with it. And so, you know, th- that's an area that, uh, you know, I want to make clear to people is that, you know, it's really in your best interest to pick a license so that you're explicit about, you know, what you want people to be able to do and not do with your code. Wait, I guess the other way to spin this is just say, if you're not going to pick a license, why are you putting this into an open source repository? Like, you didn't open it. Right, right. Keep it at home. Yeah, yeah. I mean, unless you're doing it as a private repository, then it's totally fine by me and I don't care. (laughs) Yeah, nobody can see it anyway. It's not an issue. 
right? Yeah, Any exactly. source code that's visible to someone needs a license. Yes. All right. I mean, I don't know how long we can really talk about licensing per se, but uh, I appreciate that you guys are trying to make it easier for us to, to select the MIT license. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> now, I think everything you do to try and organize licensing ends up leading you to just select MIT and stop worrying about it. You can use it. Don't sue me. What more do you want? <laughs> so, Phil, how is uh, GitHub for Windows actually going? Is it? I've, I've wondered if it's just been sort of an intermediary step to everybody using the command line. <laughs> <laughs> That's really where we're going. Yes. Yeah. We're just... Uh... I'm kind of like the, it's a gateway drug to the command line. Right. That That's really our end goal is that we want everybody using PowerShell. <laughs> well, well, the funny part is I'm seeing more and more shops as this sort of DevOps movement takes over and people want to move faster and faster on this. That's exactly what's happening. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, there's a lot of, you know, I spend about... Uh, I spend a lot of my time in the command line because there are certain commands and, and operations that are just, you know, faster to do from the shell. But I find that um, I do a lot of things in GitHub for Windows as well, which, um, you know, obviously is, is kind of the goal. Uh, for example, you know, one of the things we really focused on is making com uh, commits from GitHub for Windows kind of a nice experience. Uh, and we do so in two ways. One is, you know, when you're typing your commit message, if your commit message, the first line gets too long, we sort of gray out the rest of the characters and let you know that, yeah, you know, Git will accept it, but it won't be formatted well in, you know, in very, you know, like it's not according to Git best conventions. And so, you know, you can make a proper commit message with it. We format the commit message for you so that it shows up nice in, you know, consoles. And then we also um, allow you to pick and choose which files are going to go in that commit. And that part I find a lot easier than doing the command line where you're, you know, typing git add, you know, path to this file, git add path to that file. Uh, just being able to check a few things and hit commit is really nice. And, you know, my, my goal is that, uh, you know, that I'll, I'll continue to make GitHub for Windows, you know, the UI more and more useful to myself. Um, but at the same time, you know, one of our, you know, key goals has always been to be the easiest and quickest way to get the, the command line onto your machine. And so we're, um, you know, I think we've done that and we'll continue to improve you know, even that experience. Because what we're finding is that for a lot of advanced developers who already know Git, uh, they're almost spending, you know, no time in our app, right? Our app is great for, you know, great for making commits. And it's also great as a quick means to cloning a repository, um, if you're logged into your github.com site and you see a repository that looks cool and you can click the clone uh, clone in Windows button and then we'll clone that repository to your local machine. And that's really nice, right? That's a lot nicer than like, you know, oh, drop back to the command shell and type git, you know, check out that URL, right? If you just happen to be looking on the site, why not click a button and have a clone? Um, one thing I recently added, you know, as a... <clears throat> for support for the you know the few of you who are not using GitHub, right? And you know who why. you are. Yeah, the few of you not using GitHub, you can if you have like a someone emails you a URL or like you ha you have a URL in your address bar for a repository of another host, you can just drag and drop that into the dashboard of GitHub for Windows, and we'll clone that for you as well. And nice. so it's just kind of a nicer way to clone it than using those sites themselves, even. 
Right. What, what we're finding now is that GitHub for Windows is really useful for those who aren't Git um, experts. Who, um, you know, I do it for a lot of like documentation writing lately. Like I like to just be in there, you know, switch, uh, switch to these repos and and you know, maybe not even use the command line. Of course, nowadays, you know, on GitHub.com, you can do a lot of like documentation writing directly in the browser. Yep. Hey, Richard, guess what time it is? Ah, uh, it must be that happy time again. That's right. It's time to overcome your fear of commitment and get her done. <laughs> no, help me. <laughs> no, it's time to give away a DevCraft Complete Collection by Telerik, everything they make in one box, to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Yes, sir. But before I do that, let me tell you about Telerik's Kendo UI. It's everything you need to build HTML5 and JavaScript sites and mobile apps. And now, Kendo UI comes with server-side wrappers for ASP.NET MVC. You'll be able to produce awesome HTML5 apps powered by Kendo UI without being forced to write JavaScript. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Simply program on the server, and the Kendo UI wrappers will handle the HTML and JavaScript. You'll have fun, and your boss will be amazed. Awesome. Visit the official Kendo UI website at kendoui.com slash dot net, D-O-T-N-E-T, to find out more about Kendo UI or download the free 30-day trial with full support. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. So who's our winner, buddy? Today's winner is Lars Bergman. Hi, congratulations, Lars. Woo! Clappers for you. Clappers for you. And uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members. We give away stuff every show, and every December, we're giving away $5,000 worth of technology. Rob Corbett was our winner last year. This year, who knows? And we'd like to ask our guests, if you had five grand right now to spend on technology, Phil Hack, what would you buy? Oh, man, that's a really good question. On any kind of technology? Yeah. Anything you want. That's man. right. Oh, man. You know, I wanted like one of those 3000K monitors, you know? Like, oh, yeah. God, I just want pixels, more and more pixels. More and then I get pixels. Yeah. And then I guess I'd have to upgrade my video card in order to support all those pixels. And, uh, and I think I also want a telescope. I want to get my kids into like uh, looking at uh, the, the night sky because that, that, that weird pearly gray cloud cover is probably very interesting to look at up close. <laughs> and the modern uh, electronic telescopes now do auto tracking. You just said, what do you want to look at? And it'll figure out where to look. Yeah. Yeah. Does it all for you really? You don't have to do a lot of the calculations to try and get uh, eyeballing on some tough stuff, but I'm with you on these three K screens. I'm thinking I need several. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you, you. It sounds like from your story earlier that you have enough bandwidth to uh, fill it with pixels. Yes, and and more video card is okay. We're starting to see machines now that are able to run multiple three and four K monitors. So now it's just a question of actually buying the monitor. But I'll give you this, sir. Your list is uh, easily going to eat up that money. <laughs> yeah, Phil, no three D printers for you. Uh, you know, I haven't really been into it yet. Although, um, I know we have one at the San Francisco office. So maybe when next time I'm there, I'll check it out. And, uh, um, you know, that GitHub supports 3d, um, uh, schematics and rendering on, on github.com now, right? Wow. Cool. Yeah. So like, uh, one of our, one of the guys at GitHub's a real big fan of, um, 3d printing and 
you know, hence the reason we have one at the office. And so he went and worked on adding support for, I forget the file extension, but like there's a certain type of file um, that you use to describe these 3D objects for the 3D printers. Right. And so if you are collaborating on one on GitHub.com, it, um, the viewer for it will actually render it on GitHub. So that's pretty cool. That is awesome. I, it's good to see GitHub getting in other things. Yeah. yeah, like we just added GeoJSON as well. So if you add a, upload a .geojson file, um, we'll render out the map and, and with all that uh, data overlaid. And so I was as um, saw something about some city, and you can see I have s- such a terrible memory. I'm like, yeah, some random city in some country somewhere. Well, they usually um, are. Post- yeah, posted uh, all their bike path data up there Um and so you could see, find out, like, you know, what are the bike paths to, to use in that city. So uh, lots of cool stuff going on in that area. But this speaks to this larger idea of just repositories of knowledge, not just source code. So my wife and I are using uh, um, a GitHub re- repository to track household issues because I have a very bad tendency to forget everything that needs to happen around the house. Right. And so... Um, I, I had the brilliant idea. I was like, oh, I heard about people doing this. Why don't we try this and uh, create an, a GitHub issues? And I figure it'll help me stay married for another 10 years at least, uh, nice. hopefully longer. <laughs> but uh, it's working out. And then, you know, there's that guy who uh, put his genome up on the uh, on a GitHub repository. So I think we are seeing this movement of people who want better collaboration tools for things other than software, right. um, especially for things that are textual and are starting to use GitHub repositories you know, for those kinds of things. So I think that's pretty cool. I'm just thinking about the genome there and thinking, do I want to fork your genome? Is that good? No? <laughs> do, you, do you accept pull requests? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, wow, look, I have wings now. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> that's awesome. We need to do more of that. Or awful, one or the other. <laughs> yeah. Whoo. For what I do day to day is software development on GitHub for Windows, but when it comes to things that are um, on other areas of the site, like the website, since I, my Rails and Ruby skills are not quite there yet, I, I can't really do the development for those just yet. So in in those areas, I, I sometimes do a little bit of you know PMing style, but it's more of a trying to convince people to do this thing that I think would be cool. Um, while I try to ramp up my Ruby and Rails skills so that I can just send a PR myself. Mm. Yeah, recently, uh, we took down this feature called Downloads. You took it down? You took it down. Yeah, yeah. So this was a, a couple months back, I believe. And so uh, this was a feature that, uh, while might not affect, uh, for example, Ruby developers as much because typically, you know, you're like if you're developing a Ruby website, your site is the Ruby source code. But it really kind of, uh, you know, in my opinion, I think it hurt like .NET developers more who might have been using them to uh, put like the file compiled form up on their repository so people could download that thing, right? And, you know, there was various reasons like the experience of downloads wasn't very good and this and that. And so, you know, we took it down and there was a, you know, a, sm- a small amount of backlash against it. Um, but uh, uh, so, but hopefully by the time you're listening to this, we'll have... Um, the replacement feature. Uh, so I'd propose this idea that, you know, we bring it back, but bringing it back in a way that was more GitHub-y, I, I should say. So, and um, some folks had um, this really cool idea where we would t- uh, 
call the feature releases instead of downloads. And so, you know, when you think about the process of building software, um, you know, hosting random downloads sort of doesn't make sense. What you really want is you want um, a release that's tied to your repository that contains, you know, the artifacts you need. So it can, you know, typically like an, an installer or an EXE and maybe, you know, s some documentation if you like to still do it in a PDF or Word form and so on and have that associated with a specific commit of your repository, uh, you know, um, what we would call a tag. And so... Um, uh, so we are now, um, hopefully, like I said, by the time you listen to this, we just released, uh, we just released releases. So, um, huh. yeah, and this is a feature that I feel like will, um, you know, I kind of mentioned like my role is sort of trying to make GitHub better for .NET Windows developers everywhere. It's not just in, um, you know, GitHub for Windows, but it's really trying to advocate for features that, uh, appeal or, or are important to .NET developers. And so this is kind of a feature that I think is important across the board, but I think and, you know, .NET developers in particular uh, will find it more useful than you know, maybe developers who are releasing JavaScript libraries because you know, you know, the source code is the product there. Mm. So um, you, know, you can go into the releases. Um, you can use that to either choose an existing tag or to tag your, you, you know, tag your repository at that point. And that creates a git tag and then you can write your release notes and you can upload a drag and drop a few files in associated with that release and now you have this really nice way of um uh, publishing you know your finished product um associate and have it like directly tied to the very commit that, that that's associated with uh which is a, kind of a nice way of doing that and so when people download that release they can actually you know click over to that tag and see what the source code is and so on and so forth so, uh, i think that's going to be something that uh .NET developers will really appreciate that's cool man that is very cool yeah uh, no kidding surfing the web yeah, you ever try to surf the web on your phone? It's a little small. Especially when you're looking at a big list like the feature list of Actor Reports. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we've been using it for 15 years. You know, the coolest new feature, I think, is the new Silverlight Report Viewer. What's cool about it, of course, is it's both native Silverlight for printing, but it's also got PDF support, so that really minimizes the amount of data that has to come over the wire. Makes it a lot more efficient. Well, we've been looking for a good solution for Silverlight data viewing. Yeah, it's a great product. I, I think I'm going to order it. Not on that. No, not on here. I'll go to my desk first. Active reports from Component One. Smarter components for smarter developers. So, Phil, what's next for you? Well, in July, I'll be speaking at Monkey Space. Awesome. And so I'm spending a lot of time working on my talk for that and uh, thinking a lot about that. It's cool. Yeah. Is this... We saw Monkey Space for the first time on the road trip in Boston, I think. That's right. And, but it's the used to be Mono Space. So that's right. It's uh, Monkey Space, formerly known as Mono Space, and Mono Space was primarily focused, you know, on the Mono um, open source community. But uh, Dale Reagan and others uh, decided that they really wanted it um, to expand the focus to .NET open source in general and, and cross-platform .NET open source. Mm -hmm. And so um, he got me and Hanselman and a couple others on board to um, a, a foundation that he set or a nonprofit that he set up called Monkey Square. So if you hear the term Monkey Square, that's the nonprofit, and our goal is to um, 
sort of promote and expand .NET open source. You know, we've, there's a lot of feeling that .NET open source community isn't quite as vital or robust as, you know, the Ruby and, and JavaScript communities. And, you know, we're looking at ways that we can try to help that out and, you know, figure out what we can do. Uh, right now, our primary thing that we focus on is the Monkey Space Conference, but we hope to do a lot more than just that conference. Um, but, you know, we really enjoy the conference. And I think, you know, the, the one in Boston that you guys were at was a lot of fun, very cool. Uh, this one is, this year we're doing it in Chicago, and we have um, Eric Meyer, who invented Link as a keynote. He worked on Haskell. He uh, also worked on reactive extensions. So, you know, one of these super brainiac types. Um, and recently left Microsoft. Yep. Yeah, recently left Microsoft. And sort of the, the part for him that's really relevant to Monkey Space is that uh, reactive extensions is, is not just a .NET framework now. It's, um, there's Reactive Cocoa, which uh, actually some of my coworkers wrote uh, for Objective-C. There's Reactive uh, Java now. And so, you know, one of his goals was to sort of take this uh, approach, this functional reactive programming approach, and bring it to all these different platforms. So not necessarily that he was writing them for the other ones, but try to, you know, encourage um, implementations in other platforms and languages. And that's starting to happen. So in many respects, it's a very successful cross-platform open source project. But cross-platform, it, it's a little different from like sort of the mono approach where, Mono's cross-platform C-sharp, you know, single language, you know, multiple platforms. But this is almost more of a cross-platform idea in multiple different languages. So cool stuff. And we're really excited to have him keynote. And he's just a different way of thinking about programming. Like a, a, a typical Eric Meyer, he's so far ahead of us. He's just dealing with, pro he's dealing with problems we haven't got yet, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's funny because like, I don't know if you remember when generics first came on the scene in .NET. I, yeah. like I found it really hard to look at and really hard to read. And I was like, oh, this is just like, I'm never going to get this, right? Yeah. And we're never going to need you know, it for anything anyway. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I don't need right. this crap. And then, you know, eventually I got it and now it's second nature and it feels like, oh, um... You know, like, like that's so easy. Why, you know, or Lambda's expressions. I went through that with Lambda expressions. Uh, reactive extensions, you know, like I've come a long ways, but I'm still kind of like, oh man, this is still hard to wrap my head around a lot of times. But I, but now I'm, I'm kind of getting to the point where I'm like, okay, I understand how this stuff works, right? <laughs> but, uh, but man, of all the technologies that I've worked with on a day to day basis, it's been the most, challenging to wrap my head around and on one level like the concept is so simple but on another level it's 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 because it's so inverted to how you, you you're sort of trained to think about things right it's yeah. kind of just like the object-oriented versus functional programming uh, you know right paradigms well yeah we, it's funny what's deeply embedded in your psyche you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And what matters and what doesn't. How much you're able to do when you don't worry about those things. Right. Yeah, it's like whether you're in the Church of Church or uh, the Church of Algol. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that's pulling out old languages, dude. Yeah. Algol. Well, I just like, just trying to describe how I felt about it just made me tired, man. <laughs> like, but... But the thing about reactive extensions, like especially for us doing 
you know, a client development mm-hmm. app, you know, like get it for Windows, is it's powerful. And it sort of like I never really understood composition until I started doing reactive extension and really understood how you could compose these operations that, you know, were written for no data type in particular and be able to compose them against all my different data types. Right. Yeah. Um, Very and powerful. doing, you know, effectively like monadic operations which you know monad another word that like is very hard to wrap your head around uh, but but the idea being that like I, I've learned these basic set of operations and I can apply them to you know any type of sequences it's pretty amazing it's um you know I don't have to relearn a whole new set of operations because I'm learning you know using a different data type and so that's uh had a lot of impact in terms of how we've been able to do complex user interactions in GitHub for Windows and keep them declarative, maintainable, and also very fast. Um, we recently, uh, Paul Betts, I think he posted or is working. I gosh, I can't remember where the status of everything. But in any case, you know, he was talking about how um, he did some work recently to make GitHub for Windows. Uh, really, really fast. And a lot of that is just, you know, tweaking our um, reactive UI code that we're using and keeping all the work off of the UI thread. So when you use GitHub for Windows, hopefully, you know, it feels very snappy. It rarely ever, like, you know, does that gray screen of, oh, I'm doing a network operation on the UI thread like an idiot. And now you're going to wait for everything to come back. Yeah, uh, aka Outlook all of the time. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Yep. Outlook needs to switch to reactive extensions, man. They need to react to something because they got lots and lots of threads. <laughs> None for me. None for me. <laughs> Not that I'm bitter or anything. Yeah. Yeah. It, this whole thing is so it's it's all foreign to me coming from a web development background because it's, it's always been you know on the web server it's like yeah I got this one thread and I just need to spit out some tech angle brackets to that one thread and I'm done. I might launch a few tasks, but you know who cares what thread I'm on? You know as long as they all get back to the you know and uh, get shuttled out in the response. But uh, you know with uh, you know. Windows developments, you're, the UI thread is sort of the the thing you're always focused on, right? I got to get, you know, do everything off of that, but then get all the results back onto that. Right. Interesting. Well, Phil, I think we're just about out of time. So well, uh, maybe we'll see you at Monkey Space. Yeah, you guys going to be there? I will try. We always try. Cool. Be, if we can, be we will. Good to see you. Yep. Yeah. It's, you know, I... It, I had a really good time at the last one. I felt like the uh, quality of the talks were really cool because it's it's a little less about like let me teach you about this technology that Microsoft just released, and yeah. more about you know let me teach you this open source code or this open source project that's a little more deep than you know what you typically would get from a large vendor. So lots of cool stuff, lots of passion from people who are you know writing this open source software. So would love uh, love to see you guys there. Awesome. All right. We'll talk to you later, man. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. Thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online. Pluralsight.com.
Dotnet Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. Dotnet Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm